File 23 of A Treatise of Human Nature by David Hume, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by George Yeager. Book 2 of The Passions. Part 2 of Love and Hatred. Section 11 of The Amorous Passion or Love Betwixt the Sexes. Of all the compound passions which proceed from a mixture of love and hatred with other affections, no one better deserves our attention than that love which arises betwixt the sexes, as well on account of its force and violence, as those curious principles of philosophy for which it affords us an uncontestable argument. It is plain that this affection, in its most natural state, is derived from the conjunction of three different impressions or passions, that is, the pleasing sensation arising from beauty, the bodily appetite for generation, and a generous kindness or good will. The origin of kindness from beauty may be explained from the foregoing reasoning. The question is how the bodily appetite is excited by it. The appetite of generation, when confined to a certain degree, is evidently of the pleasant kind, and has a strong connection with all the agreeable emotions. Joy, mirth, vanity, and kindness are all incentives to this desire, as well as music, dancing, wine, and good cheer. On the other hand, sorrow, melancholy, poverty, humility, are destructive of it. From this quality it is easily conceived why it should be connected with the sense of beauty. But there is another principle that contributes to the same effect. I have observed that the parallel direction of the desires is a real relation and no less than a resemblance in their sensation produces a connection among them. That we may fully comprehend the extent of this relation, we must consider that any principal desire may be attended with subordinate ones which are connected with it, and to which, if other desires are parallel, they are by that means related to the principal one. Thus, hunger may oft be considered as the primary inclination of the soul, and the desire of approaching the meat as the secondary one, since it is absolutely necessary to the satisfying that appetite. If an object, therefore, by any separate qualities, inclines us to approach the meat, it naturally increases our appetite, as on the contrary, whatever inclines us to set our victuals at a distance is contradictory to hunger and diminishes our inclination to them. Now it is plain that beauty has the first effect and deformity the second, which is the reason why the former gives us a keener appetite for our victuals and the latter is sufficient to disgust us at the most savory dish that cookery has invented. All this is easily applicable to the appetite for generation. From these two relations, that is, resemblance and a parallel desire, there arises such a connection betwixt the sense of beauty, the bodily appetite, and benevolence, 
that they become in a manner inseparable, and we find from experience that it is indifferent which of them advances first, since any of them is almost sure to be attended with the related affections. One who is inflamed with lust feels at least a momentary kindness towards the object of it, and at the same time fancies her more beautiful than ordinary, as there are many who begin with kindness and esteem for the wit and merit of the person, and advance from that to the other passions. But the most common species of love is that which first arises from beauty, and afterwards diffuses itself into kindness and into the bodily appetite. Kindness, or esteem, and the appetite to generation are too remote to unite easily together. The one is, perhaps, the most refined passion of the soul, the other the most gross and vulgar. The love of beauty is placed in a just medium betwixt them, and partakes of both their natures, from whence it proceeds that it is so singularly fitted to produce both. This account of love is not peculiar to my system, but is unavoidable on any hypothesis. The three affections which compose this passion are evidently distinct, and has each of them its distinct object. It is certain, therefore, that it is only by their relation they produce each other. But the relation of passions is not alone sufficient. It is likewise necessary there should be a relation of ideas. The beauty of one person never inspires us with love for another. This, then, is a sensible proof of the double relation of impressions and ideas. From one instance, so evident as this, we may form a judgment of the rest. This may also serve in another view to illustrate what I have insisted on concerning the origin of pride and humility, love and hatred. I have observed that though self be the object of the first set of passions, and some other person of the second, yet these objects cannot alone be the causes of the passions, as having each of them a relation to two contrary affections, which must from the very first moment destroy each other. Here, then, is the situation of the mind, as I have already described it. It has certain organs naturally fitted to produce a passion. That passion, when produced, naturally turns the view to a certain object. But this not being sufficient to produce the passion, there is required some other emotion, which by a double relation of impressions and ideas may set these principles in action, and bestow on them their first impulse. This situation is still more remarkable with regard to the appetite of generation. Sex is not only the object, but also the cause of the appetite. We not only turn our view to it when actuated by that appetite, but the reflecting on it suffices to excite the appetite. But as this cause loses its force by too great frequency, it is necessary it should be quickened by some new impulse, and that impulse we find to arise from the beauty of the person, that is, 
from a double relation of impressions and ideas. Since this double relation is necessary where an affection has both a distinct cause and object, how much more so where it has only a distinct object without any determinate cause. End of file 23